0: Hello everyone and welcome to the CNS Journal Club podcast for May 2021. My name is Tiffany Hodges from University Hospitals, Case Western Reserve University of Cleveland, Ohio. And I'll be serving as the moderator today for this discussion. Today, we are very excited to highlight an article from the recent neurosurgery journal series entitled, Surgical Management of Eloquent Area Tumors. The article for discussion today is entitled, New Philosophy, Clinical Pearls and Methods for Interoperative Cognition Mapping and Monitoring a la Carte in Brain tumor Patients. I am happy to welcome the lead author of the manuscript, Dr. Hugh Defoe, Professor and Chair of the Neurosurgery Department at Montpelier University Medical Center. Dr. Defoe, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm very happy definitely to have this opportunity not only to write, but also to give more details regarding uh, this paper, which is to me very important in order to uh, try to change a little bit mind of neurosurgeons in order to take care of their patients, not only speaking about uh, um, the neurological consequence uh, of brain surgery during uh, a resection of a glioma, but also in order to think about the next future, namely to think about uh, the cognition, emotion, behavior, and then to give the opportunity for patients to return to a perfect normal life, including the familial, uh, social, but also professional issues, uh, and uh, not only to avoid, uh, as in the classical literature, uh, in the hemiplegia and or aphasia. And I hope that uh, the discussion we will have today will uh, increase a little bit the chance uh, for young young surgeons uh, to implement this kind of tasks before, during, and after weight surgery in order really to take care of the quality of life of the patient defined by himself, herself, according to his or her lifestyle, and not just uh, to apply uh, common template uh, to each patient according to the location of the tumor. So definitely this is the concept of a la carte, namely to spend time with uh, patients and family in order for them to know what is absolutely crucial in order to continue to think about their next life, not only within the weeks following surgery in order to recover, but also within the years, and maybe in, Le in the decades, uh, because I start to have now more than 20 years of follow-up in some patients I operated on uh, and when I was younger. And it was absolutely critical for me to benefit from their feedback, not only a few months after surgery, but 20 years later.
0: Wow. Thank you for that. In addition, we'd also like to welcome our guest faculty today. We have Dr. Sean Hervey-Jumper, an Associate Professor in Neurological Surgery at University of California, San Francisco, where he specializes in surgical neuro Welcome, Dr. Hervey-Jumper.
2: Good morning. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Great. I would also like to welcome our CNS resident fellow, Dr. Lakaj Dagubati, our neurosurgery resident at Penn State, who will be discussing the paper and asking questions. Before we start the discussion, I would like to remind our listeners that if you would like to purchase the CME version of the podcast, please visit the educational catalog at cns.org. So, Dr. Defoe, what was your inspiration behind your paper?
1: As you know, probably I like to say that brain surgeons are, first of all, at least should be uh, neuroscientists, and the new concept in this paper is really to say that we have to be connected to the connectome of our patients in order to preserve their quality of life a uh, la carte, as I said before. So the goal is really to better understand the networks regarding uh, each function, moving, speaking, but also higher cognitive function, cognition, emotion, spatial recognition. Uh, but also uh, mentalizing, namely, the abilities to um, better understand the the emotion expressed by people in front of you and so on in order to adapt the surgical act according to the neoplastic phenomenon induced by the tumor before to arrive into the operating theater. But the other concept is now to better understand the relationships between these different networks in order to combine them and then to create what we call behavior, namely my personality, my ideas, my behavior into the operating theater. And of course, to adapt to the behavior of each patient, knowing that uh, their needs are not exactly the same, even if in cases, of course, they do not want to be aphasic hemiplegic, but definitely this is not enough. And when you put everything all together with cognitive assessment before surgery, thanks to extensive neuropsychological assessment, in uh, addition to the wishes of the patient, and when you do exactly the same thing following surgery, thanks to postoperative cognitive rehabilitation, which was already planned before the surgery, because you can start to plan what kind of transitory deficit you will induce then you have a real chance to remove more tumour, to increase the median survival really with now, as I said, more than 20 years of follow-up, but also to preserve a perfect quality of life according to the personality of each patient based on your understanding of the modification of the interconnections, interplay between different subnetworks before, during, and after surgery. And then the new idea is to use this knowledge in order to pre-plan a second or even a third surgery, especially in legray glioma, because we have time in front of us, in order to modulate this uh, interplay across networks, and then to predict that in a few years, we will be able, again, to reoperate, to remove more tumor, but to preserve the quality of life thanks to mechanisms of reorganization which occurred in the meantime, but that we start to predict. And when you expose this uh, multi-stage philosophy to the patient and the family since the beginning, you know that very uh, probably you will continue to take care of them for many, many years or even decades, and they will give you the feedback uh, uh, every year in order to be sure that uh, they were really happy with um, not only the fact that you removed the vast majority of the tumor and they're still alive, with the fact that they are not a- aphasic, hemiplegic, but that they continue to see new project to elaborate um, new strategies for their own life uh, and maybe why not to be creative thank you so much
0: I'd now like to ask of dr. Dagubati if he has questions for the author and to open up for discussion
3: hello everyone thank you dr. Defoe this was uh, this is a very influential paper to me as as a uh, uh, hopefully a future neuro oncologist neurosurgeon. And uh, uh, I I understand where you're coming from. We're just learning uh, more and more about the higher cognitive functional mapping of these glioma patients and the importance of future preservation. I just want to talk to you a little bit about difficulties of awake glioma surgery and how you have um, kind of mastered that in your practice. Um, I know there is sometimes false positives that arrive from the cognitive and the sedative state of the patients, and how closely we have to work with our uh, uh, neuroanesthesiologists. How have you changed your workflow in the operating room to kind of maximize uh, the testing? And uh, do you think any of these tests, especially the higher cognitive and the concentration tests, um, you have higher difficulty achieving in the operating room?
1: I think it's not so complex uh, if you have a good team. Namely, we did now more than 1,000 awake surgeries, especially for low-grade glioma patients. So that means that uh, my anesthesiologist, speech therapist, neuropsychologist, of course, in addition to the neurosurgical team per se, are very involved in this kind of philosophy, I would say. And then the technology is easier. In other words, we have tried initially to do wake, awake, awake, and the patients were a little bit tired more uh, rapidly when the patients were awake during the opening. Then we started to do sleep, awake, asleep by uh, using laryngeal mask. That means that very quickly, my anesthesiologist, when I started the bone flap, Can hear the noise and knows that they know that uh, in uh, just in more or less five to ten minutes, I will say now please awake the patient. So they will decrease the target in order for the patient to be awake really in five to ten minutes, maximally, without any drugs during the awake period. That means that the patients are really free of drugs. And that means that uh, they are really able to participate very actively by doing higher cognitive level tasks thanks to now the uh, fact that my uh, psychologist and speech therapist are in all cases PhD in cognitive neurosciences. So that means that if I said initially I should be connected to the connectome of this patient at that time because I should be a neuroscientist, this is true for my team. So they are connected to the connectome because we speak the same language by administrating these tasks. We will probably speak a little bit more about the tasks uh, after this uh, uh, first question, but uh, you can combine them in order to increase the cognitive demand and in fact uh, to reduce the duration of the surgery and uh, to have uh, more accurate, reliable, and sensitive insight into the behavior I spoke about just before, not just to ask to the patient, can you name, and that's it. And third, I have the habit, as I did this morning, typically not to remove the tumor while the patient is awake, but to disconnect a part of the brain invaded by uh, the tumoral disease in order to go directly to the uh, functional boundaries and by uh, um, reducing the timing of the awake period, because once this part of the lobe, for instance, like this morning, uh, the temporal lobe in the left, so-called dominant hemisphere, was disconnected, then I have asked to my anesthesiologist again to put a tube and then uh, to perform the last period under general anesthesia because I do not need more the participation of the patient. So that means that it's not like a marathon, it's much more like Formula One. You need just in one hour to identify all functional boundaries, both at cortical and subcortical level, and if the patient is motivated because we had a long-term discussion before surgery with the family in order for him, her, to express his needs. Then with this good team, this modification of the methodology for anesthesiologists and for me, by disconnecting a part of the brain invaded by chronic disease, I can tell you that the rate of real aborted wake surgery, about more than 1,000, is less than 0.5 five and two times, because I have induced pain into the contact of the vessels in the insula. But it's so exceptional that we can really say that the reliability is more than 99.5%. That's
3: amazing. Um, and it looks like you have gotten the sign, it down to a science in terms of working. Effortlessly through your um, with your with your team. Um, one of the other advantages I found of the paper was uh, it goes systematically through different areas and different higher cognitive uh, testings. Are there any of those uh, tests that you find difficult to perform either because of the complexity of the task or the tumor location, either secondary to patient discomfort um, or the difficulty of the task itself?
1: No, it's not related to the tasks. The tumor location can be difficult sometimes, just for the patient, typically, like this morning, the temporal buzz on tumor because you can induce pain. But because you disconnected without being directly into the contact of the dura matter of the school base, That means that you can do the painful part under general anesthesia after identifying the cortical and subcortical white matter tract. So it's not really um, difficult anymore for me now because I changed my philosophy in comparison with 20 years ago. The sole complex location still, in my experience, is the insula. Because as I said, sometimes you can induce some pain because you are close to the Sylvian branches. So that means that Bayesian can work, but not with an optimal higher cognitive level. So now I have tried also to change a little bit my strategy by avoiding to remove, uh, um, mm, mm, to open the Sylvian fissure. I do not split the Sylvian fissure, but I go through the operculum. So that means that I'm not into the contact of the vessels. And second, when I am into the insula, by leaving, if uh, the insula is painful, the cortex, and by running at the level of the white matter tract into the contact of the temporal stem, especially the inferior frontoccyptom fascicum, to disconnect again the insula by leaving the vessels above my disconnection in the depth. So that means that thanks to transopercular approach, lifting up the circular sulcus, uh, running into the contact of uh, the lantiform nucleus and the IFOF, never I am into the contact of the vessels. And then again, Once disconnected, I can do that under general anesthesia by asking my anesthesiologist to put a tube, and then if I want to spend one more hour to do a sub dissection into the contact of the sylvan branches, I can do it. But a specific location, which is much more complex according to the functional issues, definitely no, because we have to see this multimodality with different tasks, not according to the location of the tumor, but according to the connectivity in the depth and the crossing fibers. So that means that it's true more or less whatever the brain localization.
3: That's a great insight. Um, one of the other questions I had was you had discussed the advantage of neuroplasticity and the possible stage surgical uh, resections, especially for low-grade gliomas. How long do you wait after your first resection to re-examine the patient? And are there any neurocognitive or imaging modalities you use to kind of tell you it's the right
1: time? As I like to say, my protocol is that I have no protocol. So to answer your question, it's it depends on the patient. And first of all, it depends on the natural story of the disease. In other words, if I come back, in a sense, that means that I was not able to remove completely the tumor. I did not perform a supratautorization during the first surgery. So what about the volume? It's totally different if you left 0.5 cc versus 7 cc. Second, the growth rate. And this is the reason why I like to do two MRIs before to go to the operating theater, at least in low Le grade glioma. Of course, not waiting for six months, but at least a few weeks, because I can calculate the growth rate of the tumor. And this growth rate will be exactly the same if you do not perform a complete or supracomplete resection into the operating during the first surgery. So that means that according to the postoperative volume and the growth rate extrapolated before surgery, you can answer this question by telling I will not wait for more than 10 to 15 cc, because Mitch Berger in San Francisco, you demonstrated that the risk of malignant transformation was higher beyond 10 to 15 cc. We reproduced in the French glioma network. It has been demonstrated also in Germany. So everyone agrees more or less with the fact that we have a threshold. Third, it will depend on the, the pattern of regrowth. I mean, if you have a regrowth uh, much more bulky, even speaking about uh, diffuse glioma, and especially near the cortex, then we know that mechanisms of neuroplasticity will be higher, more efficient, and then you have a higher chance to remove more. While if you start to to see a diffusion within the Y-matter tract, you have to come back Earlier, Otherwise, it will be too late because you have no chance to cut the arcuate and the inferior occipital fasciculum, for instance, because limitation of neuroplasticity. Fourth, the needs of the patient. Once again, some patients can tell me, uh, this year I have to finish something, for instance, to have my examination and to become a PhD uh, this summer. It's exactly what happened in a few of my patients that I have already planned for a re-operation in July after their examination. So you have also to take care of the quality of life of patient in order to avoid for them to miss the action, but also uh, to uh, waste uh, a year for nothing speaking about uh, um, university issues, for instance. And finally, of course, the neuropsychological examination so, not only the clinical issues, because if the patient starts to have seizures again, that means that uh, the brain reached again the limitation of neuroplasticity, you have to reappraise them, but without waiting seizures. By doing regular neuropsychological assessment, if you start to see a slight but objective decline, then that means that. Uh, brain plasticity starts to reach the limitation and that it's better to do now a re-operation according not only to the natural story of the disease, but also the brain plastic mechanisms which occurred over years in this patient plus definitely his wishes. So you see that it's a big equation and definitely you have no two similar patients. Nonetheless, in my experience, in the vast majority of cases, the peak is around every four to five years for second surgery or 10 years for a third surgery, speaking about low gray glioma.
3: That's great. That's, that's a truly clinician-based approach and, and patient-based approach. Um, talking about the a la carte method, you discuss uh, in the paper uh, doing this for gliomas do you tend to be more aggressive for glioblastoma patients as opposed to low-grade glioma patients for extent of resection uh, because they have less time for neuroplasticity or they may be older so they may not
1: have as much ability for neuroplasticity? Once again it depends on the patient really, and of course the tumor. I mean if you have uh, like this morning, it was, uh, um, to my opinion, high-grade glioma located within the left temporal lobe. So my goal was to did a complete resection of the flare. We will see the MRI this evening, but a supratotal resection of the enhancement. I mean, just to remove the enhancement, we change a little bit the natural history of a high-grade glioma, especially glioblastoma. You have not yet the. Um, Full examination of uh, the neuropathological results, but if you can take a margin around, then uh, to do almost a complete resolution of the flare, you can change radically in the natural history of the disease for the next next years. But in some cases, you know that uh, the enhancement will be very close or already invading some. Uh, a part of the eloquent networks. I mean, still eloquent in this patient at the time and explaining why the patient can have already some degrees of cognitive disturbances or even language disturbances before surgery. In these cases, I will not be so aggressive because I know that you need many weeks or even three months, like in low regular mass surgery when you push the resection to recover, but in the meantime, the patient will have in this scenario uh, chemo radiotherapy, and especially if he had a two protocol, the risk is to limit the chance to recover very quickly within this period, and then finally to keep some degrees of permanent deficit. And if the patient told me before surgery, no, I would like to return to maybe not uh, work uh, if uh, uh, glioblastoma with true protocol. Sometimes it would happen nonetheless. But at least to have a very good level in speaking about language and cognition, then I will not induce, for instance, a complete SMS syndrome while the grey glioma. I can do that by telling, if you agree, I will remove more. But you will have in front of you three months in order to totally recover, not just speaking about the SMA syndrome per se, but to return to a perfect normal life with a perfect neuropsychological examination. So you see that, once again, it's a balance. And it's not so black-white dichotomy, high grade, more aggressive, low grade, not so aggressive. It's a la carte.
0: I'd like Absolutely. to turn the questions back over to Dr. Hervey Jumper uh, for time purposes. Uh, Dr. Hervey Jumper, do you have a question for Dr. Defoe?
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, no, Dr. Defoe, again, congratulations on this excellent paper. It really crystallizes these thoughts and really important and challenging concepts, balancing maximum resection to improve survival with preservation of function and quality of life. So congratulations, wonderful paper. I've three main questions i wanted to ask and we can go through them quickly but first and foremost i wanted to understand a bit more about your surgical limits meaning you talked about this your surgical goals you talked about you talked so much wonderfully about the ankle functional balance and my question is do you crystallize in your mind which functional modalities will spontaneously or organically recover versus those which may not. For example, there's, as you know, there's certain attention tasks that will kind of spontaneously get better and other aspects of attention testing that don't necessarily get better without rehab. When you put a patient through the, the operation and you determine what your intraoperative goals are, are you distinguishing between which modalities you think might get better on their own without rehab and those that will not? Or are you really driving it based on the patient's kind of global thoughts about each individual cognitive domain. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. In fact, the sense is that I'm not still able to predict function by function for each patient what is the limitation of neuroplasticity. In other words, I cannot predict if a patient will totally recover if I push a little bit more according to the intra mapping I did, speaking about attentional processing, working memory, uh, uh, mentalizing, and so on. So according to that, if the patient is telling me, à la carte, please do a totalization, I don't want to be a hemiplegic, and more or less what I want is to see my uh, children growing." I will do a supra according to classical functional boundaries, naming task movement. If the patient is telling me, which is a, an increased amount of patient, maybe I have a bias of selection because they would like to um, enjoy a perfect normal life uh, by coming to Montpellier and to be a priority done in this condition using this philosophy. But then, in the 90% cases, they are telling me, no, I want really to continue to enjoy my perfect normal life. So that means that into the OR, I will add other tasks like mentalizing, uh, working memory and back, uh, um, multitasking, uh, uh, and so on. And when I will induce a transitory deficit related to functional stimulation, electrical stimulation, I will stop because. I cannot promise to the patient that even if I push and even if uh, he can benefit from postoperative cognitive rehabilitation, he will recover. So I would prefer to talk about this multi stage theory and then to say, I will stop according to functional boundaries, then I will be absolutely sure 99.5% of cases you will recover. And then if I left a residue, we will come back according to the modification of the connectome we will induce thanks to a postoperative cognitive rehabilitation, a return to normal life despite by resection, pushing the brain to reorganize itself. And then the regrowth of the tumor will continue to induce plasticity also, except as I said, if there was a two Mm, uh, mm, important invasion within the Y-matter tract, the limitation of neuroplasticity. And according to all these parameters, I have the habit to, to say to the patient and their family, the price to pay to have a real optimal onco functional balance regarding the next 10 to 20 years is probably to come back in a few years and to remove more according to neuroplasticity rather than to take the risk during the first surgery to push and maybe to have five to 10% of permanent deficit regarding higher executive function or behavior.
2: Excellent, thank you so much. My second question is really regarding what is our, or what should be our optimal target outcome for patients. By that I mean, Uh, you point out beautifully the importance of using neurocognitive and behavioral tasks in the interoperative setting as our endpoints. But how do we understand that with respect to really patient satisfaction with outcome? So put differently, how do we balance neuropsych evaluation with patient satisfaction and outcome? And do they always go hand in hand? Does a perfect neuropsych test mean that the patient feels Perfect, it feels well. Um, and when does that discordant relationship happen and how have you dealt with it?
1: It's not just related to the intraoperative selection of tasks, but once again on the preoperative and postoperative cognitive assessments with a long term follow up. Namely, I was able to make this kind of correlations thanks to my neuropsychologist with uh, two decades of follow up. And to say, for instance, uh, that some patients already had mentalizing deficit before surgery, and they were not aware about that. I know medical doctors were not empathic because they have a brain tumor before surgery and not aware about this kind of problems regarding the mentalizing. So of course. They will not complain after surgery to have this kind of problem because they already had for many years and they had no metacognition, namely modification of auto evaluation. And nonetheless, they can be good doctors, technically speaking. So in this case, of course, I will not introduce mentalizing in other medical doctors. They can, I had, uh, the, um, for instance, in my mind, uh, a psychiatrist who told me, I need absolutely to be very empathic. Otherwise, I will not be able to enjoy a perfect normal life. And I, what I want is like you to continue to be a medical doctor. So we introduced this kind of task into the OR, And we stopped according to the mentalizing task. Because I know, thanks to my neuropsychologist, when they did a retrospective analysis of the patients I done during the first 10 years that I have induced mentalizing deficit with modification of the behavior, for instance, uh, depression or more irritability, but uh, um, explaining some divorce or uh, to not be able to continue to work and so on. And we started to make this anatomofunctional correlation, so making the link between what will happen now into the war because we introduced specifically this task to this patient to avoid this kind of modification in his lifestyle after surgery. So it was an example. But more, simply, you have to adapt to each patient, Over years, I changed my philosophy. I did not perform cognitive and mentalizing tasks 20 years ago. But some patients changed also, for instance, to cut the white matter tract at the level of the optic radiation by telling me 15 years before, I need to continue to drive because I need that to work. But now I am 60. So please, what I want is to see not only my children growing, but my grandchildren growing. And I know that the tumor involved more and more the optic tract. You preserved them during the first surgery, but now I don't need to work anymore. So please cut them in order to do a more complete resection, And I can accept some degrees of deficit. So for executive function, it's just in between each patient as really to tell you I need to make a synthesis online around the table with 20 people, or finally, I do not care.
2: That's beautiful, thank you. My last question is really written around your dual task administration approach. I, I, I love it, I think that's a brilliant approach. First, could you explain for, to us a little bit about the task and how you uh, uh, employ dual task? capabilities for your patients. Second, could you talk a little bit more about when you do this? Do you always apply dual tasks, or do you sometimes apply single tasks, and how do you determine when you use each approach?
1: Very quickly, and in practice, yes, always now, for approximately 10 years, because I understood that the brain was, as I said initially, interactions between networks. It's exactly what we are doing now. To think about something else, to be careful about uh, the uh, time course uh, of uh, this interview, but also to prepare the next question, to move, to speak, and so on. So that means that it's impossible to see one network in isolation by telling, I will preserve a perfect quality of life. It's just, I will avoid pleasure or I will avoid aphasia. But what is interesting is that you can do more by adding two tasks or three sometimes because this is more than the sum of each task take in isolation but by also increasing the cognitive demand because we have to be more attentive and to recruit more networks so that means that in FINE you are more sensitive third Many colleagues are telling me, but by doing mentalizing, working memory, uh, dual task, and so on, the duration of surgery should be longer. No, this is the reverse. Because in fact, by doing many tasks simultaneously, if you start uh, uh, when you stimulate to induce one specific deficit, you can put a tag and to say, okay, I have to be careful about other tasks, but taking all together and finally you will avoid to mm, mm, spend your life into the operating theater for nothing. Then the patient has no time to be tired. And finally, it can be really exciting to have in your mental imagery a different levels when you stimulate, namely typically the first level, what is absolutely critical, input, output, someesthey, involuntary movement, visual pathway, as I said, okay, if you cut them, you know that the brain will not totally recover. The second level language, for instance, with some naming deficit, and you can say, yes, but uh, sometimes I remove the SMA or the brain temporal lobe, uh, um, uh, busy, uh, uh, language area, and it was possible for the patient to recover finally, and so on, and so on. But If you had the third level, which is the interactions between different sub-circuits, that means that the patient is still able to move, is still able to speak, but is not able to do both simultaneously when you stimulate, for instance, at the level of the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the superior longitudinal fascicle by desynchronizing the frontoparietal loop. And that means that your patient will not be aphasic will not be hemiplegic following surgery. And you can say, I am a good surgeon. And you can publish a beautiful paper by telling the rate of severe permanent deficit is zero. But your patient will not return to a normal life because he's not able to continue to these interactions online between networks, allowing normal behavior adapted to the environment. So once again, You will adapt the level of stimulation regarding the level of answer according to the a la carte we decided with the patient and the family before surgery. And then into the OR, you will interpret differently the same disturbance you can induce using the same probe using the same parameters of stimulation.
0: Dr. Defoe, I think this is a beautiful way to end this this discussion today. We'd love to thank you for sharing your expertise and knowledge with our listeners today. Thank you to everyone who participated today in a riveting discussion. We appreciate our listeners, so please be sure to look out for the next month's CNS Journal Club podcast. Thank you and have a very good day.